Welcome back to another episode of Product Love, hosted by Eric Bodick, serial entrepreneur and co-founder of Pendo, a product experience platform. Every day we use different kinds of products to help us go about our lives. Behind each product is a product manager who has carefully built something they hope their users love. This is Product Love, the podcast where we interview product managers and explore the craft of product management. Well, welcome lovers of product. I am here this morning with Duncan from MemberClicks. Duncan, why don't you start this by uh, giving us a quick little overview of your background? Sure thing. Uh, good morning, Eric, and thanks for having me. So my background, I have been uh, at MemberClicks for 11 years. Uh, I've had a lot of different roles. I was about the 15th person to start way back in 2008. Prior to that, you know, I think everyone comes into, it's kind of a common thing for people to come, come into products from different roles and various backgrounds. I kind of pride myself on having a pretty different one. Um, I was an English teacher before joining the world of software. Before that, I was something called an international credentials evaluator. And then before that, I was uh, helping out on my family's potato farm. So entering the world of software was certainly a big change from what I had done previously. And I started in sales and then moved over to the customer experience side of things and spent a few years doing that. And then I led and really built out the product discipline here at MemberClicks for about five years. And then most recently um, moved into the experience role where we combined product management and customer success and customer experience and customer service into the same organization. Uh, so that's been the most recent step in this journey. Yeah, so definitely want to talk about that. But first of all, I have to ask, what's the international credentials qualifier? Sorry, I'm probably butchering that. <laughs> yeah, no, you're all good. Uh, so international credentials evaluator. I was living in Philadelphia at the time and working for a company called CGFNS. And the high level is if you were um, an internationally educated nurse and you wanted to apply for licensure in the U.S., uh, the U.S. and the U.K. both import a lot of nurses as you know, people who want to live and uh, resettle in the States. Um, and so my job was basically to look at the uh, educational background to make a determination of whether it was comparable to a U.S. education to see if that person would be eligible to apply for licensure immediately or if they would need to do supplementary education um, because I had a background, my undergraduate degree was in Russian studies, so I could read Cyrillic. Uh, so my specialization was uh, Eastern Europe and CIS countries. Uh, so that was kind of like where I got my start professionally after leaving agriculture. And I did that for less than a year. It was not very, very long until I actually uh, moved abroad to teach English as a second language for a year. Interesting. So talk to me about the transition into product management. I understand, you know, you first got into sales, which I think a lot of people, you know, get started in tech in general, either in customer success, account management, you know, sales, but eventually made your way into product management. What drew you there and what kind of set that career path in motion? Yeah, good. it's a really good question. It's kind of a, um, a pretty organic journey. Uh, so I was in the sales team at MemberClicks uh, for less than a year. In that, it was pretty, you know, kind of a self-discovery process of really having a passion for the product itself and what we at MemberClicks were trying to achieve uh, with the product. And there was kind of a natural pull for me to work closer uh, with our customers. 
So through that process, I think I had a similar uh, feeling to a lot of people who are in um, customer success where you know, I felt like there were a lot of opportunities for our product to do a lot more and that we could do more if we got closer to our customers and we could do more if we had better systems and process around how we digest feedback and how we evaluate feedback. We were you know, pretty um, nascent organization when it came to product management in the you know, mid-2000s when we were doing this, and um, we were fortunate enough to have you know, a customer base that was very loyal, a brand that was great, but we always felt like the product could do more. So when we had an opportunity to actually uh, greenfield our product, in, we started that in 2012, my first kind of foray into product management was leading that uh, rebuild of our product. So that was about a three-year heads down, all hands on deck uh, run where we rebuilt the product from the ground up and we were able to do a lot of the things that you know, we had wanted to do with the product that we were kind of limited on previously from a technical perspective because the origins of the products went back to 1998. So it was a pretty antiquated in a number of areas. So talk to me about what you've done on the product management side with MemberClicks. And maybe we should start with, uh, like, what's the compelling problem you're trying to solve at MemberClicks? Yeah, great place to start. So at MemberClicks, we serve uh, associations and chambers of commerce, membership organizations. And what a lot of membership organizations struggle with is disparate systems or outdated technology. And so our approach is you might be using a different tool for broadcast email, maybe your members are in a separate database, you're using something for uh, event registration, or you're using the same system that you've been using for 15 or 20 years. It might be a a consolidated system, but it might be dated uh, from a uh, technology and interface perspective. We wanna take all of those tools and all those different things that the membership organizations do, put them into a modern platform, and create automations. Typically these organizations, the biggest thing that we're struggling with uh, is time. It takes a lot of administrative overhead to import and export and share information, or there's a lot of overhead using an older system where the workflows are uh, less than ideal. So we really try to save people time so that the staff members can focus on strategic initiatives, focus on uh, member services, and really move their organizations forward rather than fighting with the technology. So we have this as part of our mission, um, refreshing technology and a heart for service. And that really, that's at the center of everything that we're trying to do, certainly from a product perspective, but also from a customer success and desired outcome perspective. So now that we understand kind of that background, talk to me about, you know, the challenges you had in putting together the product organization, building out the product practice discipline at member clicks? Sure, so we were, like I said, we were founded in 1998. So we were definitely a founder-led company for a long time. And our founder uh, did not really come from a product background. He was a a marketer through and through and really a a true entrepreneur, Uh, great at brand, great at building community, great at uh, transferring enthusiasm and casting the vision, just absolutely uh, magnificent at those things. And then the product was something that other people had always kind of taken ownership of. And we really relied a lot on vision. As most startups do, that's an essential part of the process. Uh, So what I had the opportunity to do was to really build out the discipline and advance us past that phase of relying on vision. 
so what that meant was how do we actually create a process and system and tooling around getting closer to our customers, synthesizing their feedback, prioritizing their feedback, finding the, the themes and the patterns, and then tying those things to what we were trying to do from, from a mission perspective, from a value prop. So uh, where we went previously being you know, very vision-oriented organizations, um, it's very easy to fall into the pet projects because you get really inspired and energized and enthused about doing a certain thing and it may or may not align with what your customers value or what you're trying to achieve strategically. It just feels really good uh, to get into it. So we had to really go through a transition where rather than relying on the internal vision, let's start with our market and let's start with our customers and let's really co-create the product by embracing the community and really figure out together what will make the biggest impacts to the industry and supporting those organizations trying to achieve their mission. Now, you also worked on kind of revamping the onboarding process, you know, with an eye on retention. Take me through some of the problems you've solved there, too. I found that really interesting. Yeah, sure thing. So our onboarding process, like I said, our typical customer really struggles with uh, time. They are small organizations, small staffs, people wear a ton of different hats, and that tends to be the biggest constraint. So the challenge for us, you know, our product really replaces the bulk of their operational infrastructure. So during an onboarding process, we're basically asking the organization who's already short on time to give us more time, learn a new system, adopt new workflows, learn the interface, uh, it's a big transition and a big ask, and really we're overhauling how they do their business. So it's a lot. It's a big ask. So what we've really had to do is to break down the different phases. We've got to maintain a level of flexibility to accommodate schedules, but get to a point of value realization, even if it's you know a small piece of value, pretty quickly in that onboarding process, because we've got to create momentum there to carry it through. And in our world, you know, we're looking at anywhere from a 90-day onboarding process, give or take, depending on the organization. Like I said, we do have to be pretty flexible. But what we've found is that by focusing on the reason that the organization came to us in the first place, we're able to sustain that momentum uh, really from the start date, show the value and create a lot of energy and positive uh, momentum through the organization as they go live. And then we spend a lot of time uh, working very, very closely with customers in that those first two years. It's the first, like I said, it's the first time they're using our software and they've got you know, business events throughout the calendar year that are the first time. Most organizations have an annual conference or events that only happen once a year or a membership drive that only happens once a year. So it's really important that they have a cycle or two where we're very, very close to them in that first phase of us working together. So that's really been the point of focus as we've brought product and experience and onboarding together. One of the things you mentioned that I wanted to dig into a little bit was, I believe, and maybe to paraphrase, that quick time to value, right? It was important during the onboarding process that you got them to value very quickly. Were you able to correlate that directly to retention? It's always hard to have causality, right? But I think correlation is, is the right word. Absolutely. And so when we look at our customer base, we do a lot of cohort analysis Certainly the tenure of a customer is one of the cohorts we look at. And so as we've seen time to value quicken, uh, we've also seen customer satisfaction coming out of onboarding increase 
It's, you know, we've been doing this for about two years. Yes, we have 10 years of data, but all of our leading indicators uh, show that retention is increasing as part of that, which you know, really, uh, it creates you know, kind of a flywheel effect for the overall customer journey because if we're able to get off on the right foot and get value quicker, it sets the stage for a really, really positive relationship throughout the lifetime. Now, so if, if you're going to give advice to other product leaders that are looking at, you know, retention as a metric and maybe even, you know, looking at revamping their onboarding process as part of that, you know, take me through what advice you'd give them to look at their onboarding process and then how to measure the results of that. Is retention a good metric or is, are there other metrics you'd advise them keeping their eye on or what's kind of the primary metric they should look at? I think retention is a good one because all customers and all things, they vote with their feet. I mean, if they're not happy, they're going to go. So retention is definitely where the buck stops. The trick with retention is when someone churns, an organization churns, they're gone, right? And it's much, much tougher to win them back. So finding the leading indicators that will allow you to get ahead of that, that's a key part of the retention initiative. For us, like I mentioned, we actually count the days that someone is onboarding before they go live, and then they get a satisfaction survey as part of that process. You know, we typically know where every customer is you know, on kind of like a personal level in the onboarding process. It's a pretty uh, intimate onboarding experience that we provide. So that that's really crucial to it. I think the other thing to really think about for people who are you know, making this a strategic initiative and getting really focused on the initial experience is getting back to a good understanding of what prompted the customer to buy your product in the first place. Uh, in the customer success world, we talk about desired outcomes. To have that codified from the sales team or the marketing team, depending on how you do your distribution, but for the onboarding team to know that, and whether that's going to be a tech touch onboarding or you know, like us, a more hands-on human touch onboarding, they really need to understand what, what was the motivation for the customer to purchase the product. And where I see onboardings go off the rails is typically a lot of stuff, like a lot of details come up in onboarding. And if you're able to bring things back to the why, that can help get everyone focused on the big picture and the real value and, and out of the weeds. So that's always a, a helpful tool. And the other part of it is you know, that post go live where people start using the product, that's where we find we actually have the biggest opportunity to get back to talking about the organization's strategy and what outcomes they're really uh, shooting for because a lot of the details they get worked out in onboarding are now behind them and we're learning the workflows, we're getting comfortable with the product, and we can really very quickly bring the conversation back to you know, why are we doing business together, why are we uh, in this partnership together, and then what is the next six months, year, two years, three years, whatever the case may be, what does it look like to make sure we're helping you achieve those initial goals and then how are we mutually identifying the next opportunities as we progress the relationship further? Awesome. So let's go back into, you know, some of that early career transition, or sorry, some of that recent career transition. You know, you went from chief product officer to chief experience officer at MemberClicks. What was that transition like? What's different? So for me, it was a little bit of, you know, kind of moving back home. <laughs> you know, if you've ever had that experience of going back or even just visiting the place that you're from, a lot of things look the same and a lot of things feel differently. I had spent about half my career uh, at MemberClicks on the customer experience side of it before getting involved in product. 
So I was already familiar uh, with a lot of the things that we were doing, a lot of the metrics, a lot of the procedures and the operations of those things. But, you know, over that course of time, we got a lot bigger. So there were new faces uh, and things had gotten a little more sophisticated as our organization had matured. But I, we really tried to focus in on what are the opportunities for quick synergies. So what I mean by that is to say we want our product managers and something that all product teams talk about is how do we create more empathy for the customer? And if you think about customer success teams, customer success teams typically are not short on empathy for the customer. Similarly, there's this all there's almost a tension between product and customer experience or customer success because the product managers are typically trying to think strategically and high level. And then on the customer facing side of the team, uh, it's rarer that you have those level of conversations. You're more geared towards and just from the volume of things that you have in your day, day to day challenges and opportunities and successes from the customers that may contribute to the strategic objective, but they may not be the thing that you're actually spending all of your time talking about. So we wanted to bring those two teams together to create that balance and to create opportunities where the product managers really take a lot of customer success experiences to reinforce or maybe create that empathy. And then vice versa, we wanted the customer experience and the customer success teams to be very close to the product managers so that they were equipped to have conversations at the strategic level. It's never fun to explain why a need to have feature for a customer isn't being prioritized. And what we found is by having the, the customer team and the product team work more closely together, both sides are more equipped to do their to do, really do their jobs better and to, to serve our customers better because they have more insight, more empathy for each other, more understanding of each other. And that communication back to the customer and the market, uh, that's really where we've seen the biggest initial gains. Yeah, and I guess to even step back a little bit, when you were chief product officer, you inherited customer success. So as CPO, customer success reported to you. And that was kind of the beginning of this merge between the interest of the CS community and the product community under the product umbrella. Is that correct? Yeah, it was, um, you know, we, we tend to do things pretty organically here at MemberClicks. So there was a period when I was the chief product officer and I had customer success. And that was kind of a step towards our transition to thinking of, experience more holistically, uh, inclusive of product success, onboarding, services, support. So we roll all of those into the same team and we, and we call it experience because we really do want to think about it as a, you know, a chain without a single link out of place. Because if you think about your, as a consumer, your experience of a company, it, it's typically hard to segment the product from the service, from the buying process. You think, you know, more generally, here are my feelings towards this organization based on what I've experienced, and that's going to include parts from product, parts from marketing, parts from customer service. But at the end of the day, your feelings towards a brand are holistic. Uh, so we wanted to mirror that in the structure of our organization, and we feel like it's off to a really good start, you know, operating as a, as a more consolidated group. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important for people to understand that, you know, products is not just a collection of features, but it's really the experience a customer has. It has. I think where we, in the industry where we saw kind of the biggest shift in the past few years has been the emphasis on user experience and design. 
for a long time, design was a little bit of an afterthought and we have definitely moved and embraced design. You see a lot of companies having a ton of success by putting design at the forefront. We have done the same thing here at MemberClicks. We were not you know, early adopters there, but we see the same trend where you know that experience from a technology perspective as well from a human perspective, that can create a really potent force for your organization and for your customers. Yeah, yeah, I, I like that. I, I think, you know, especially as we're talking about product-led companies and the, the trend to being product-led, you know, people think more about experiences and that whole all of the different touch points throughout the whole company or customer journey, it's important to make sure you're incorporating those into how you build product and build your company culture, right? A hundred percent. So you know, that's one very concrete example. Customer success teams, one of the big things to get going in a customer success initiative is your customer journey map. What do product managers do? They do customer journey mapping because they want to understand the customer at each of those points. It doesn't make sense to have two different customer journey maps, and it doesn't make sense to have people doing the same work twice. If we can bring those things together, we're going to have better insights, but we're going to also deliver a more aligned experience. Got it. Got it. I like that. So talk to me about how you help product managers think about not just shipping features, but creating amazing customer experiences. So we're pretty... uh, extreme in that regard. And I say that because I don't, I, I talk about this with people that I meet, my peer network, and I don't know of any other organizations that are doing this. So maybe, you know, it's a terrible mistake and we're going to regret it, or maybe it'll be like the next big thing. But we ask the product managers when, when we launch a new feature, or we launch a new product to really take a entrepreneurial approach to it. So the product managers will do the marketing and they'll do the initial sales and they'll do the initial onboarding and training and then they'll do the support. And so they actually own the life cycle of that product pre-launch. And our, our kind of rule is we've got to get happy customers with product management owning it top to bottom before we'll launch it out to the market, before we'll launch it out to the rest of the organization. So it's really twofold. We get a deep level of insights uh, from a product perspective, and we're able to make those changes and really get to market fit on the fly, if you will, as if it were a, a startup organization. And then the other thing that it does is creates a tremendous amount of credibility for the product managers. It's a real asset for them as they go to launch the product to the company into the market because they deeply understand what the customer is thinking and feeling at each phase of that and how the product interacts with those emotions. So for example, we'll have a rule of 10 happy customers or 20 happy customers, depending on what we're doing. And that means customers who are up, running, having success and feeling really, really good about the product all pre-launch. And that has just made a world of difference for our product team, but also for the outcomes our product is producing. Yeah, that sounds impressive. I like that trend. I'm, I'm really interested to see how it continues to evolve. Um, me too, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> so talk to me a little bit a little about this intersection now in this environment of product management and customer success. What does it look like? You know, how do they interact? What are the challenges in getting them to work together? What, what have you ran into that's like, oh, I wish I knew that before? So, um, you know, I thought we would actually have a lot more kind of operational questions and not necessarily like conflicts in the traditional sense, but just 
friction as we combine these two groups, because as I mentioned, the, the groups organically and kind of naturally do a lot of the same work. And we haven't really seen uh, much of that at all because both teams have really come at it. Now it's the same team. It's kind of two different focuses, but under the same umbrella. They come at it from a place of helping. So, for example, one of the uh, workflows that we do uh, when we get NPS results, uh, we put those into a Slack channel and the whole company can see it. And previously, the customer success team was the team responding to those. And what we have changed and really seen, it wasn't like a memo type change, it just kind of happened organically, was when we get NPS scores and someone leaves a comment that's interesting, sometimes it makes sense. It's usually pretty clear when the customer success team should reach out to follow up with that customer versus when the product team should, or the product team will see that NPS response or we'll see a feature request and they'll say, hey, let me call that customer because I'm actually researching that now and I would love to get their in the moment feedback and thoughts on whatever we're working on. So to see the teams really scratching each other's backs has been a huge source of momentum. And again, just working better together to better serve the customer and to better build the product. Uh, so that has been great. What I haven't seen coming, uh, the, the, the kind of the counterpoint is, and it's always this lesson, maybe I'm just you know, bad at it, but I think it's a lesson that a lot of people continue to learn is that you can't over communicate. So even though you feel like you know if things are going very, very well, there's always opportunities to communicate more, uh, to bring more opportunities to the surface for the team to brainstorm and collaborate on you know, how we do the next thing. That's just a lesson that I constantly get reminded of. So now, you know, through this whole transition, you know, your time at MemberClicks, I imagine you're having to evangelize the role and importance, you know, first of product and then maybe of, you know, customer success being part of the product org, and then kind of this whole experience officer where you inherit, you know, services and support. Talk to me about the process of kind of building the justification internally, first for the growth of product, and then as your roles evolved. So the growth of product, uh, and really, you know, I think the, you know, the phrase as more chief product officers, that role is created in more organizations, it's having a product with a seat at the table. That was a definitely a big transition for member clicks because we were, we were largely a marketing and sales oriented organization. We've always had a deep heart for customer service, but we weren't doing product management terribly well. It was not a core competency. We were okay, but I don't think we were excelling for a long time. So, we had an opportunity when we were rewriting the product to really show the value of what product management could do. And the key to that was, was really working at the center of the organization and, and taking the inputs and collaborating across the different operating teams. And that transition from being you know, a strong personality who's smart and articulate, casting a vision to how do we do this together? Right? It's that proverb, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And that really set the stage for how we're doing product management operationally today, where the product managers take the roles of the different operating teams as they work through uh, product launches. Back in 2015, when we were launching the new version of our product, I spent uh, a ton of time, probably a several months, actually sitting with our onboarding team, coaching, training, answering questions. We, launched, we just launched that new product and we wanted to make sure that our customers were having a phenomenal uh, first impression. And because we didn't have people with 
five years of experience with that product because it was brand new, it was essential that we got product really, really close uh, to customer service, in that case, onboarding, and then we kind of worked through the life cycle uh, to support and success. But that was really the seed for how we do things today. And then that very naturally transitioned into, well, how do we make customer success? I think the first thing is just more visible. How do we define customer success? Uh, I think a lot of organizations, we were certainly this way, we would look at customer satisfaction levels. We would look at NPS, we would look at support surveys that came from tickets more on the transactional CSAT lens. And we felt good about those because we were having a lot of success, but we actually hadn't asked our customers in mass, what does success look like? When you think of your success, when you're reporting to your board, what is the number one thing that they want to see? And so we actually, you know, it's kind of like everything's 2020 in hindsight, but we just sent a one question survey to our customers. And we said, how do you define success? And what is that number? What is that metric? Pick one thing. And so when we were, when we defined that, uh, and so for us, it's, it's very obvious. We didn't really have to ask, but we wanted to do the exercise. They're membership organizations, so membership growth is the number one metric. It's their North Star. It really created clarity for us that everything that we needed to do for our customers, it has to be aligned with helping them retain members, grow membership, and engage members and deliver value to their customers. That created clarity and decision-making, then really I think that's the value more than anything else that customer success can bring is how do you evangelize not necessarily customer success as an operating team, but how do you evangelize your customers' missions? And the organization uh, can really rally around that because more often than not, that's why people get out of bed in the morning. They, They want to further the mission of the people that the organization serves. I like that. So, so Duncan, if you're giving advice to other companies that are looking at reorganizing maybe in this way and creating an experience department and, and hiring or promoting a chief experience officer, what advice would you give them? How should they think about building that organization? So it's a hard one, right? Because I think it's a pretty dramatic shift for most organizations. So the first thing to do is really to evaluate if, if you think it's right for your organization. You think about you know, what is the key ingredients for any team, organization, company, whatever, it's people, right? So if you have the organization whose culture already gravitates toward customer centricity, it's gonna be a much easier transition to make and it'll be you know, more mirrored to what we've done here at MemberClicks where we've always had that kind of in our DNA and it's something that we hire for. But if you're looking at, you know, your organization, you're saying, you know, we're probably not really that far along in our journey towards customer centricity or it's, you know, something that'd be a really tough sell to the executive group of, you know, or whatever the context is. I think, you know, doing that self-analysis is the first step. And if you're saying, okay, let's do this, right? Let's commit to this organizational change demonstrating the ROI and knowing what you're trying to achieve is paramount. Like what is the top priority that you're trying to achieve through this change? We talked a little bit about onboarding and maybe that's one. Maybe it's product distribution. Maybe that's one. Maybe it is if you're an organization that emphasizes NPS, maybe it's that. But really, you know, pick the number that supports the strategy and get really, really focused on that 
because you want to create momentum with this change very, very quickly. So for us, you know, we were talking a little bit about uh, evangelizing the role of product. We really latched on to NPS maybe four or five years ago. And as we were evangelizing and really prioritizing the role of product and better understanding the uh, level of impact the role of product leadership could have, we saw our NPS you know, triple basically over the course of 18 months as we were making improvements to the product that were based on customer feedback and getting really, really close to our customers and understanding them and doing features that you know, whether they were asking for it directly or not, we knew we were going to help them uh, have more success. And from there, you know, we saw uh, distribution pick up, we saw the other metric CAC went down. Uh, so really, you, we saw the, the value in having a high level number like NPS trickle down to all of the different operating teams. And it just created a ton of momentum around what we were trying to do because all boats rised. Similarly, we we're talking about you know, kind of the focus on onboarding here at MemberClicks. We've seen those cohort numbers improve as we think about retention over the past 12 and 24 months. Uh, so whatever it is, make sure that the number aligns with the overall strategy and the overall priorities of the organization. And then really, you know, kind of get after it because you want to have that win as quick as you can so that you can build momentum around the effort. Now, could you argue or could I argue that, you know, it's in the best interest of your customers, right, to think about having one owner for the overall experience. And therefore, if it's in the best interest of your customers, maybe it's in your best interest if you're measuring things based upon, you know, engagement, expansion, retention. A hundred percent. Yeah. I, I think it's a pretty easy argument to make, you know, your environment, your context is crucial and the personalities at play are absolutely crucial to understand. But really, if you are having success making your customers successful and putting them at the center of what you're trying to do it's very very easy to do everything else well right all things being equal so i think it's a very easy argument to make i think it's a conversation that executive teams and leadership teams should be having i think there's a trend in the business world to talk about customers more and it's just it's a very positive thing for the consumer experience whether you're b2b or b2c but it's also it, it helps longer term thinking as well. Uh, to put it in those terms, it's relatively easier to focus on short term profits or short term goals. Uh, but if you're really working towards your customers outcomes, it forces that longer term thinking and the delivery of real value. Hmm. Yeah, I like this concept of, you know, organizing your organization or putting together your organizational structure in a way that aligns with the problem you're solving for your customers. And I think that that makes a lot of sense as opposed to saying that, you know, the organization is structured this way, no matter what kind of company you are. Well, this has been a blast, Duncan. Uh, why don't we finish up by asking a couple questions about you? Let's do it. So what's your favorite product? So it's, it's a product that is pretty new to my life. So um, maybe it's a little premature to say it's like my all-time favorite, but uh, so my, I've got two little kids and my daughter just started kindergarten and we put her in a program which is immersion Spanish and we don't speak Spanish at home. Uh, my wife and I both took it in high school, but it, it did not at all stick. So we said, you know, if, if our daughter is going to go on this multilingual journey, we want to support her and do a little bit with her. 
So uh, we started using Duolingo, and if you're not familiar with it, uh, Duolingo, it's, it's a language acquisition app. Um, Pittsburgh company. Yeah, Pittsburgh company, you know it, right? And so a couple of things, you know, it's fun, it's super accessible. You, they say, you know, spend five minutes a day with it, so it's not a huge time suck. The gamification and the interface are incredible. And so it's my favorite product right now because it's a joy to use. They're very considerate with their notifications. You know, if you stop doing it for a few days, they actually send you notifications. It's a little guilt trippy, but it says, looks like these notifications aren't working. We're not going to send you anymore. So it's that kind of thoughtfulness where they know their audience and they, and they kind of can predict the usage patterns of people trying to learn a language. You know, I try to do it every day. I certainly don't. So I've gotten to know all those reminder notifications. Uh, but then they couple it with a couple of different channels. So they do a podcast to help listening comprehension, uh, but it's not a pure Spanish podcast. They interject English to help you follow the narrative, which then helps to let, develop vocabulary. And I've just found it super refreshing uh, and super educational as we try to you know, acquire at least a basic understanding and use of Spanish. Awesome. And one final question for you today. Uh, three words to describe yourself. This is your favorite question. I think I've answered this before from you, so I'm going to answer it differently uh, to, to evolve a little bit. Uh, I also, I was able to prepare for it because I know you'd asked it before. So I'm definitely a family person. Like I mentioned, I've got two little kids. Um, they are why I get out of bed every day. An absolute joy. A five-year-old and two-year-olds, they're great ages. It's a little bit day-to-day with a two-year-old, but he's a good kid. Another word to describe myself would be, you know, for better or worse, I'm a pretty direct person. So people who know me kind of know that it's usually going to be straight to the point. That's helped me in some cases, hasn't helped me so much in others, but I just, for whatever reason, I can't help myself. And then lastly, I'm a learner. I love discovering new things. I love learning about a new topic. I, you know, I'm deeply curious about those things. I mean, really, whatever it is, whether it's, you know, I've mentioned uh, language. I went from being an international credentials evaluator to being in SAS and teaching English. So I just love that thrill of uh, learning new topics. And um, it's, a, it's a real rush for me. Awesome. Well, thank you, Duncan. This has been great. Thank you, Eric. Appreciate you having me. This has been Product Love. Thank you for tuning into this episode. Check out the rest of our articles and interviews on productcraft.com, an online magazine by and for product people.